Let's call this meeting to order. Trustee Lawrence is absent. Trustee DeVries. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Lujanani. Present. All right. And Trustee Zorthian will be absent today. Right. We have a quorum. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, so in uh, uh, our president's absence, I get to chair the meeting today, which is really exciting. Uh, <laughs> The very beginning uh, uh, thing we have is open session and public comment, and I was just commenting to my colleague that we don't usually get very many visitors, but I'm wrong today, so wow, welcome, hello everybody. Um, and if there are people that wish to speak, um, well, I'm going to call you forward right now. Um, uh, we have Karen Rothblatt, did I say that right? Yeah. Come on up, and then Hannah Reese, uh, and if anyone else wishes to speak under public comment now, um, Fill one of these out, and if you want to speak at the end of the meeting, you can you can do that as well. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name's Hannah Reese. I'm a nurse at San Leandro Hospital. Um, I have a letter to read to the board today. Uh, dear AHS Board of Trustees. We are the registered nurses who provide care for vulnerable populations at San Leandro Hospital and Alameda Hospital. We are proud members of the California Nurses Association and have been in the process of negotiating a successor agreement since January of this year. Today we are delivering to you a, peti a petition we circulated throughout both hospitals demonstrating our in support and unity around demands to meaningfully address workplace and patient safety issues during negotiations. Some of our concerns involve improving RN staffing, recruitment, and retention with competitive wages. High RN turnover and chronic understaffing creates dangerous conditions under which our patients receive care. Throughout the bargaining process, AHS presented takeaways to the very benefits that encourage RNs to continue a nursing career with AHS. For instance, the hospital has proposed to either limit or eliminate the ability for full-time RNs to adjust to part-time positions after a certain number of service years. Nursing is a predominantly female profession. The ability to maintain flexible positions supports working RNs who are raising children or taking care of loved ones. It is widely understood within the nursing community that hospitals with, with contracts that speak to the need for adequate work-life balance are ideal. The elimination of unnecessary nursing turnover is best for providing continuity of care within our community. In contrast, throughout bargaining, we have presented language to improve patient safety. One proposal includes a product safety committee to ensure that RNs at both facilities have access to the supplies they need to provide care. Too often, RNs discover that their units are understocked with necessary medical equipment, resulting in an unfavorable impact to effective patient care. Moreover, RNs are seeking to limit the use of travelers and focus on hiring permanent staff. Travelers and registry staff are a transient workforce who are often not invested in our communities, hospitals, or our patient population. We hope that you will use your discretion as the AHS Board of Trustees to support these issues and help us settle a fair contract. We will be following up to meet with you individually. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Karen Rothblatt. I'm an RN and I've worked at Alameda Hospital for 27 years. 16 years of that was in the emergency room and 11 years in the operating room. And this is the fifth time that I've been on the negotiating team. Um, and I am here, frankly, to let you know that I'm 
extremely disappointed with the way that bargaining has been going at our hospital. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but the RNs at Alameda Hospital are the lowest paid RNs in the system, as well as obviously the lowest paid nurses in the area. Um, the problem with that is the fact that we have a dire recruitment and retention issue at our hospital. Uh, the bargain, your bargaining team, your team, uh, came to the table on the very, very first day with all the right words. We were, we felt initially very encouraged. They said that they understood the hiring of new nurses was very difficult, retaining nurses was very difficult, that staffing was very unsafe at the hospital and that there was a huge wage gap and that was primarily the reason for those problems. Uh, later that same day, they handed us several takeaways, uh, all of which we considered very huge takeaways, including healthcare takeaways, opportunities for part-time uh, nurses to work. Um, and, let's see. well, I wanted to say that they also understood, they said that they understood not only that it's uh, safe patient care at hand, but this very important scores that we talk about, these patient satisfaction scores that everybody seems to be so worried about all the time come through at very low at our hospital because of these staffing issues. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> so we've met, um, I think, 15 times since January. It's been seven months. And frankly, your team comes very ill-prepared most of the time. Uh, they haven't responded to many of our proposals, even though it's been seven months later. They, the things that they, that they respond to us with are often very um, inaccurate. Right, we ask them for um, <clears throat> information, and they give us lists of information that are either incomplete or actually ridiculously um, in a, in incorrect, shall we say. Um, we ask them for lists and they give us lists of names of nurses that don't even work at our hospital, never have worked at our hospital, nurses that have left, so we don't even have the material that we need to discuss the realities of the bargaining with them. Um, I guess I'll just close by saying yesterday I ran into a nurse in the hallway who had been working in the emergency department for 13 years. She's a resident of Alameda, very committed to her community. And um, she was full-time. And she is now working just a couple of days a month at our hospital because she left, along with many of her other colleagues. She's working at Kaiser now, making an incredible amount more money, not an amount that any of us at Alameda expect to ever be making, really, because we know that we're not part of a corporate system. We're part of a public health care system, and we feel passionate about doing that work, but we have to close that gap because we are hemorrhaging <coughs> nurses left and right, and it's creating continuous unsafe situations for our patients. And I want to hand you the list of our petitions. Thank you. Um, Mike Plummer. 
Hello, uh, thank you, board, for listening. My name is Mike Plummer. I've been at San Leandro Hospital for 32 years there in the ER. And I just want to mention real quick some economics. You don't have to be a Wharton School of uh, Business graduate to understand that. But by not giving a competitive wage, we're losing nurses. Uh, we don't have enough nurses. We sat down and estimated, because the nurses are working double shifts, getting double time, that we're throwing away about $750,000 a year just in our 12-bed ER. So if you compound that with the other floors, it's probably a, a million dollars a year. I, I, don't, I don't think that AHS, uh, you know, would want to throw a million dollars away, uh, you know, down the toilet. It's gone. The second part of that is these nurses doing doubles are exhausted. They're tired. They're falling asleep even on the day shift. Their heads are nodding. So the patients really aren't getting the care uh, they deserved, and, and it's kind of dangerous. And uh, that's all I want to say. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And with that, we'll close public comment for now and move on to our medical staff reports. And uh, Dr. Puckett, you're going to take over first? I will. Uh, thank you to the board for uh, letting me speak. Uh, my name is Dr. Taft Puckett. I'm the immediate past chief of staff. I'm presenting this report on behalf of Dr. Swapshaw, the chief of staff uh, for the board campus. Uh, so I'll follow in prior reports that I used to give uh, to this body and divide my report into three sections, people, process, and opportunities. So let's start off with people. Um, first, Dr. Joe Walker. Uh, we want to give thanks for his service to Alameda Health System as the acting CMO over, over the past year. Uh, he will be transitioning out of that job as our new CMO joins us on Monday. So with that, uh, thank you to Dr. Walker for his service to HS as the acting CMO. Second is Dr. Ghassan Jamaladine. This is a, a little bit premature, maybe three days premature, but uh, we welcome our new CMO who begins on Monday. Uh, welcome to the jungle. We're happy to have him here. Uh, next is, Dr. is Mr. Luis Fonseca. Uh, welcome to our new COO who began two weeks ago. We knew he's been drinking from the fire hose since he got here. The med staff looks forward to developing an engaged and collaborative relationship with you. So thank you and welcome uh, to Alameda Health System. Next is Dr. Bob Savio. Uh, after 10 years as the Chief of Pediatrics, Dr. Savio will be stepping down as his chief, in his chief position to spend more time with his family and to become, quote, as he said, just a regular Highland pediatrician. Fortunately, he is staying with us. He is a remarkable resource for our organization. Under Dr. Savio, our Division of Pediatrics has become one of our organization's premier services. Uh, great thanks to Dr. Savio for his commitment to our organization and glad he's staying. Uh, he hands the keys to the car to Dr. Donna Carey, who I am confident will continue a mission of excellence for pediatrics here at Highland. Next is Dr. Suzanne Meyer. Uh, Dr. Suzanne Meyer is a member of our Department of Medicine. She's been in practice for about 30 years as an internist, although only a short time with us here at Highland for the past five years. She's been an invaluable member of our department as an associate program director, uh, the medical director of the step-down unit, and an overall voice of wisdom. Uh, she is retiring at the end of this month. Uh, we'll be having a celebration. Administration, administration will, of course, be invited to that. Last, as I close out people, uh, as I was putting together my report today, I, uh, uh, she won't like this, but I'd like to say kudos to Satira Dalton Giovanetti. She's our director of our medical staff service. Uh, on, on a daily basis, I continue to be impressed with her work ethic, her attention to detail, and her vision, 
She is the hidden secret uh, behind all our medical staff offices. So thank you to Satira. Uh, I know how hard she works. She's uh, amazing. So that's people. I'll next move to process. Um, anesthesia. Uh, we are still in the midst of a search for our chair of anesthesiology. Uh, we've been absent a chair going on a couple of years. Let me say we are still uh, uh, engaged in this process and moving towards finding leadership for this very critical an important department. Uh, I'm uh, happy to say that the organization has contracted uh, with a consultant to help us steward uh, the clinical operations of that anesthesia service uh, absent a formalized leader. Uh, we, we hope to continue to give reports in this regard for uh, a service uh, which will be on the improving uh, pathway. Next is bylaws revisions. Our bylaws committee is currently in process of editing our bylaws in the context of both compliance and a dynamic landscape of clinical practice where we have new providers, nurse practitioners, PAs and the like and putting that all within the context of what we do. Uh, as you know, our med staff bylaws require approval by this body, the Board of Trustees, and we anticipate something coming your way by end of calendar year. So look forward to bylaws for that. Uh, last, as I close, close out process, this is an even numbered year. And for even numbered years at the core campus, that means this is an election year for all elected uh, members of our medical executive committee. We are still in the process of vetting nominations and the vote will occur uh, in late August, early September for all elected positions. Uh, the results will be announced at our fall meeting, our annual meeting on October 13th. Uh, we will report to that body, uh, to this body at that time. Last, I'll close out with opportunities. Um, uh, three, just three quick bullet points on opportunities. The first is a dialogue on organizational leadership. Um, I believe that Dr. Shaw has previously had this discussion at both the admin and this at this body's level. Uh, we are excited to collaborate with administration on bringing Dr. John Burroughs to our organization this September. Dr. Burroughs is a physician MBA healthcare consultant whose reported specialty is analyzing and synthesizing complex situations and providing solutions through the lens of leadership and organizational structure. So I think that'll be an important dialogue. Uh, the med staff invites our uh, board of trustees and our administrators who are collaborating with us, of course, to participate during his uh, short visit here, which will occur sometime in September. Uh, he'll be giving a grand rounds uh, and meeting with, uh, with many of us at all levels within the organization. So we certainly invite the Board of Trustees participation. Next is uh, a culture of safety. Um, at our last MEC, a report was given regarding a survey which was taken in 2015 regarding our culture vis-a-vis -vis safety at each of our respective institutions within this whole system. Um, uh, that report will be forthcoming for this board's review. Uh, we'll have that sent to you for you. Very some compelling and intriguing data, which brings forth, as good data does, sometimes more questions uh, than answers, but great opportunity for us. As a side note, uh, one of our insurers, Beta, is planning to offer a meeting in Southern California on September 7th to September 8th to help educate and provide tools to, to, to meet the gaps between a uh, an idealized uh, culture of safety and where we are. Um, Beta Insurer uh, is offering some 16 to 20 slots. That is in Southern California. I don't know the exact details further, uh, uh, but we will be asking 
members of the Board of Trustees as well as our administrators to consider attendance. Code gray, ER triage. Code gray, ER triage. To consider uh, participating uh, alongside medical staff, administrators, and the Board of Trustees at that event. And to close with the uh, last thing, our annual med staff meeting is October 13th. As with always, our med staff invites uh, all our Board of Trustees to attend, as well as our, our senior administrators. Thank you for the report. I'm available to answer any questions, if any. Thank you. I do. Um, uh, you mentioned Dr. Burroughs coming in September, and you invite us to be part of that. How, how can the trustees plug into that? Uh, what's an appropriate way? Um, maybe I'd direct it to Delvecchio. We can send I'll work with uh, Susanna to uh, get, get the information uh, and then send it out to you all as an invite uh, for anyone who's uh, interested and available to attend. And will we get a calendar invite to the annual medical staff uh, meeting? We will make sure that happens to all Board of Trustee members. So we're aware of it, whether mm -hmm. whether or not we can make it or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, on the safety uh, symposium in Southern California, yes. uh, again, is that... Is that something that, that it makes sense for trustees to engage in? Is it, is it better for admin and for medical staff? Um, you, you keep giving us these invitations. Of course. Yeah. Um, uh, I will defer this to my chief of staff to have direct dialogue with you guys on this, on, on this issue. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we are looking at it uh, as administration. Actually, we just started this conversation today. Um, um, I'm, I'm less familiar with it. David and a couple of other leaders have actually gone, so maybe Mike can speak to it, but we're looking yeah, so the, the focus of the uh, sev September 7th and 8th is on BETA's initiative called the HEART program, um, and it's actually an acronym, H-E-A-R-T, um, and it is all focused on safety, and I can just tell you that the three main aims of the program are to improve safety and quality, resulting in less harm, reduce litigation frequency and costs, and support patients, family, and caregivers. And it focuses on you know, looking at events, whatever those events might be, either near misses or actual occurrences, uh, and analyzing the process to respond to the patient, the patient's family, and address the underlying causes, and then ensure that appropriate steps, uh, steps are taken uh, to deal with it. So there was a uh, kickoff meeting uh, back in July where they introduced the uh, concept you know, to their participants, and then this executive retreat on September 7th and 8th is the next step of the program. Um, after uh, going through the retreat, each of the organizations in beta will have the opportunity to opt in to this particular program, and if you opt into the program, then you agree to engage in certain training programs, uh, certification programs, and upon successful completion of those, there are financial incentives that you know accompany our you know, relationship with Beta. So, uh, it is a nice fit with the uh, what we've learned from the culture safety survey, um, and so I attended the kickoff session. I'll probably go down for this and uh, our Director of Accreditation, uh, Director of Quality are also involved in it as well, too. So would it be good sense maybe to have uh, a presentation in September, October, back to the QPSC? Kind of what, I mean, it, it sounds like something more hands-on. The Board of Trustees <coughs> generally are more policy-driven, but it would be great to get an update uh, at, at, at that level, I think. Absolutely. We can put that on the... Uh, on the planning calendar for the uh, QPSC in October. 
Yeah, what, what, what I saw in the invite that they recently distributed is a list of sort of uh, roles within organizations that are sort of uh, uh, target audiences for the message, and I don't recall uh, trustees being on it. That notwithstanding, it doesn't preclude you from going. Uh, um, so we can look at that, but I, I think your approach actually sounds like a good one. Uh, but if there is some interest and it makes sense, uh, we can add it to uh, the list of um, um, continuing education opportunities that we uh, have disseminated to you all in the past. And, and you know, if you're interested, we can facilitate that process. Any other questions? No? Who's next? <laughs> well, as Salinger Hospital is not big as uh, Highland Hospital, so my comments are also very small. Um, <laughs> um, I want to thank the administration uh, for uh, looking into, as we discussed last time, about uh, the acute bed availability after the whole process of uh, uh, rehab is done at San Leandro Hospital. And um, thankfully to the administration, uh, they were open to that idea for discussion. And we were able to somehow uh, reevaluate the plans and come up with six more acute beds. So that was quite helpful to all the vascular surgeons who were worried about their surgeries being done there and not having acute bed. So thank you for that. Um, the second issue I think I want to bring it up is uh, about the GI coverage, which at this point is uh, available in San Leandro and maybe a little more sketchy in Alameda Hospital, but we only have one GI doctor in San Leandro. We have been told that uh, Alameda Health Partners are in the process of uh, looking for one, but I think there could be a little speed of process in that and uh, uh, gaps could be uh, probably closed uh, faster than the way the process is going it seems to be taking a long time. We are covering with few other um, locum tenants and they are not always available and I don't want the San Leandro Hospital without a, a GI uh, service which will bring us again like we don't have, we didn't have uh, renal services or dialysis services for some time, which brought the census down and everything. Mm. So just wanted to bring that up issue so we have some knowledge and something is being done. And after our nurses' comments, I do want to say that I have seen repeatedly on the floors uh, the San Leandro Hospital nursing are doing overtime, uh, doing double shifts. They're being asked again and again uh, and at the same time, I've always been a problem with retaining the, the nurses. So uh, I just wanted to comment that after I saw our nurses, uh, you know, what the issue has been. So, And I'm happy to answer any questions in regards to that or in any other forms about selling into hospital. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I, I would like to begin by giving credit to our leadership board, uh, CAO, CEO, for the investment in Alameda Hospital. We were deeply in debt. Uh, the capital equipment has come through. The debt reduction is significant, uh, minimized pretty much, and we're very appreciative of that. That There is uh, inexorable gratitude for that. It really is a it's really a resuscitation that uh, is, is well well thought of. Uh, 
<clears throat> but for the last 10 months, we've had a chronic deficiency uh, state, and that's the lack of uh, uh, insurance plans. And we are wasting away. Our volume is down. Patients are being lost. Maybe they'll be lost forever. They're going to other plans because they can't come to the hospital. And I think that uh, the board, uh, being the ultimate governing body, has to, uh, has to make this end. We cannot waste away anymore. And I think that the political pressure has to be held on these health plans. We all know how parasitic they are. But we have to really use every bit of pressure we can, go up the political ladder, and get help because this is uh, really, really unsatisfactory. It's, 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 and I would be remiss if I didn't really emphasize the seriousness of this. This has to stop. It's not right. And uh, <clears throat> uh, patient care is being compromised. We can't, we're not getting income that we should have to pay the nurses. And by the way, the, 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 the substandard salaries are also a problem for the clinical laboratory. And uh, we, we're losing CLS, clinical lab scientists, and it's affecting patient care. So uh, it's more than just the nursing. I mean, uh, I'm not minimizing the nursing uh, essential uh, influence, but it's the, also the, the professionals who, who also save lives. The laboratory saves lives. The results come. They are lifesavers, too. They're first responders. And uh, we need to... We need to acknowledge that, and we need to get parity, or get close to parity. So uh, <clears throat> I want to give you credit. You've done a great job, but there's still a lot of hard work to do, and it's direly, direly, it's a dire situation, and we're wasting away. So I thank you for this opportunity. Any trustees have questions? No? Um, I, I know we've... I, we can't speak, of course, about ongoing negotiations, nor will we in open session, but in regard to the contracts with um, providers, I mean, we know this has been a public issue. That, with the health plans? You mean? Yeah, with other health okay. plans. Pardon me. Um, are we, are we, is there anything we can say to that at this point? I mean, I know it, we all recognize that it's a huge problem. Uh, uh, we're really doing everything we can to get these negotiations going. We've had active dialogue with them. We've been told that they're also short-staffed other priorities, and they've said they'll get back to us as soon as they can. I think uh, Anthem mentioned perhaps in end of August, early September, that we could expect to enter negotiations. So we just I wanted to add to that, well, one, underscore what David just said. Uh, um, um, I have, in some cases, gotten personally involved here to underscore the, the, the impact that this is having on the people we're serving. It's not so much about the facility, uh, although obviously that that is a, uh, um, a residual impact, but it's really about their plan members and the people who want to come to our facilities for care. Um, uh, and David's, you know, David's point is what I'm hearing as well. They're, they understand it. They're sensitive to it. Um, uh, when they look at their, you know, what's going on in their shop, they say we, we are resource constrained, and at the same time we have this same challenge and or a different one that's brewing with other organizations throughout the Bay Area, uh, some of whom uh, from a sort of comparative impact for us fiscally and in terms of the number of members is a lot uh, greater than yours. So they're sort of making this sort of uh, objective argument that, you know, we're talking in some cases $700, $800 million to maybe, you know, single digit uh, 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 millions or less. Um, it doesn't 
um, uh, it doesn't negate from our perspective the the impact. Um, um, but you know, we're we're doing everything we can, and to that end, uh, there are some other programs uh, that we have put in place, and you know, w with a few fits and starts at the beginning, uh, uh, we'll concede. But I want to um, give kudos to David and the team that they've really tried to do. Uh, what is a standard of practice in the community? Uh, El Camino Hospital and other hospitals are doing the same thing when they're in this situation to create a mechanism by which to work with patients who are impacted by this to try to create that access uh, in a way that's as, as uh, minimally financially disruptive uh, to them as possible. And, and uh, unfortunately, it means that it happens on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, uh, but in many cases, it, it works, and in our case, uh, actually, we've seen uh, growing evidence that it's it's working here. Doesn't mean it's still not without its challenges, and it's certainly not the ideal circumstance. We would prefer to have the the contracts back and have the contracts appropriate for the uh, the cost of the care that's being provided, so that we don't further confound our abilities to actually pay uh, fair wages and reinvest in the uh, facilities in the way that Dr. Yako called out. So, we're continuing our efforts to do that. We'll be talking next week uh, with the uh, healthcare district board to give them an update on you know the efforts we've taken uh, uh, some progress obviously still not where we want to be uh, uh, but you know we're we're committed to doing what we can to uh, to bring people to the table to underscore the the impact this is having on uh, uh, patients first and foremost uh, and, and hopefully get to a resolution as, as quickly as possible Question is the is the reimbursement they're offering less than CMS? When you say CMS, I'm assuming you mean Medicare. Yes. Um, I well, to the extent that we can talk about that, you want to? Yeah, I don't know if we can talk about public. It's 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 in that range or lower. Yeah. Yeah. Because that that really means that the taxpayer, the public, is, is is subsidizing these health plans. Uh, uh, yes, that's true. That and that's effectively the argument that we yeah. we are trying to underscore for people, particularly in Alameda, where the the residents have uh, willingly assessed a parcel tax to them. That and you know that that parcel tax we take and reinvest back into the organization. So the equipment improvements, the facility improvements, all those things are what we use those that funding for. And if we don't um, uh, have reasonable contracts, we're effectively saying. Your parcel tax is a pass-through to a plan to subsidize the care that they are not paying for, and I don't think that, at least, it would be my guess uh, uh, that, that 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 would not sit well with people that they're they're subsidizing a for-profit entity for not. Has that been called to the attention of members of Congress, state senators, senators? Well, I, I, yeah. actually, I was going to point out: isn't the Bonta Bill AB 72 <laughs> addressing this, or am I am I off base? I was reading in the legislative report. Does that is this touching on the same issue or not? You've crossed my expertise. I was mm -hmm. looking, looking for no. Terry. I don't think he's here. I, I don't think it San is. Andrew. That's it. Uh, San is, is 72. Oh, is that is that about the uh, uh, about out of out of. Um, uh, Non-contract services at contracted facilities. Enrollee insured only required to pay the in-network cost-sharing amount. Is that is that at all related to this issue? It's related, actually. Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly that's actually what we're accomplishing with this um, this uh, PPO policy that we've implemented. Uh, and I know that um, there, there's kind of a reluctance of people who've never used this before to do it, but it actually works. Uh, and we actually are getting uh, these enrollees into Alameda Hospital. Just in the last couple of weeks, we've, we've worked on getting a couple of surgeries in. And this is done very well across the barrier. And it's actually necessary to make this work because, unfortunately, with these insurance companies, 
it does come down to money and the time when um, the thing you have to do to get them to the table is to, to have a certain amount of cost that they're having to pay. So if we can make the policy work, they're going to be paying more than they would if they came to the table with a reasonable contract. And, is, there and any, is, there any, is there any value in political pressure with Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And we've Absolutely. invoked yeah. we, we, we've, we invoked it a while back uh, and actually have experienced some, some support from um, uh, yeah. Assembly Member Bonta and others uh, to this end. And, and we mm -hmm. have uh, redoubled that effort uh, uh, as, as recently as a few weeks ago, uh, not just with the Assembly Member, but uh, members of the Board of Supervisors and members of the uh, Health Care District and the, uh, uh, the, the uh, political leadership in the city of Alameda. So. We're, we're, we're asking. We think there is value. At the end of the day, there's still a for-profit entity that, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the relative impact of that is is obviously sort of borne out in the fruit uh, of, of what we have right now, but but it doesn't stop us from trying to, to continue to understand Dr. Erica, that was my question, too. Uh, I always go there. Um, I mean, and it does, I mean, I, I know there are for-profit private, or maybe they claim to be non-profit private entities, uh, but we truly are serving the public, and um, we do have an elected statewide insurance commissioner that regulates this industry, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they need to be communicated with. I mean, again, I think to your point, if their profits are causing the taxpayer to cover what they should be paying for for their right. their uh, uh, customers, mm -hmm. that's um, that's wrong. And so, um, is it worth kicking it to that level? I mean, we have a lot of friends in, in, yes. in high places. I, I, yes, I don't take anything off the table, yes. uh, uh, particularly at this point. I, I, what I what I want to make is absolutely uh, uh, the case is I want uh, all the folks, uh, particularly the residents of Alameda, the city of Alameda, understand is that we are we are advocating for them. And so uh, that's clear. Uh, it's not something that we have uh, done. I think it's a great point. Uh, and we could, you know, with your support, uh, and, uh, 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 certainly invoke that, that option as well. Mm -hmm. So I'd be happy to do it. Great. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. So we are on to the um, president's report, and she's not here, and I'm the vice president, and I have no report. Uh, so we'll jump right to the CEO report. Okay. Uh, I'll try to be brief, and actually, Dr. Paquette uh, uh, stole some of my thunder, but that's okay. I, I tend to do it to them in their MEC meetings, so it's all fair. Um, so I did want to uh, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't on, on, on behalf of uh, um, myself as the CEO, uh, extend, although he's not physically here, I guess he took off. Uh, Dr. Walker, maybe he had to take off. I wish I had done this during the uh, uh, QPSC meeting, but uh, yeah, maybe he's tired of the thank yous. Uh, uh, but Dr. Walker stepped in in a very uh, tough time uh, um, and uh, filled a void, uh, uh, and I want to thank him for that. Uh, um, at the same time, uh, uh, I think he probably shares our excitement that Dr. Jamaluddin is actually starting on Monday. Uh, so we look forward to having him uh, join the organization um, uh, uh, when, when that time comes. Uh, I want to recognize, as we've done throughout the organization, uh, the, the addition of our new Chief Operating Officer, Mr. Luis Fonseca. Uh, very thrilled to, to have him here. Uh, um, 
and uh, he has been drinking from the, the, the proverbial uh, hydrant, uh, but you know he shows up every day, and so that's exciting. I didn't tell him that the temporary uh, nameplate is a part of the probation program, so <laughs> if he passes program, uh, probation, we'll make it official, um, uh, but we're very excited to have him on board. Uh, at the same time, uh, um, uh, we have a new um, executive director for Alameda Health Partners, uh, uh, Brenda. Um, I said Brenda Walker. Brenda Taylor, thank you, sorry. Jeez, sorry, Brenda. Um, Brenda Taylor has joined, and, and uh, that's part of our effort to kind of stabilize the leadership for that organization and address some of the challenges like the one that Dr. Dewan mentioned for uh, GI coverage throughout our system and other sorts of needs as we uh, build up the, the, uh, um, the capacities of that organization to support the clinical needs of the organization. So I'm happy to have her on board. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's it for that. I want to point out, actually, um, um, uh, although not here, our emergency uh, medicine residency class is actually having their grad graduation event uh, tomorrow. So congratulations to those residents who have completed their training in the, uh, I think, um, I've, I've accepted now the number one training program, uh, emergency medicine training program in California. At the last place, you, we were number they were number two, but now that I'm here, we're number one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, so I'm so excited for them and just want to publicly uh, congratulate them. Uh, uh, next, I want to recognize the uh, uh, beautiful uh, group of talented uh, young men and young women that are seated behind you. Uh, these individuals, uh, these young folks, are the graduates, uh, or who soon to be graduates, in the next half hour or 15 minutes. Of our, of our Hill program, our Health uh, Excellence and Academic Leadership. Did I get that right, folks? Yeah. All right. And they're the class of uh, summer 2016. Uh, these young folks have been in a five-week uh, training course. And it's uh, 30 of you, I think, in this class, representing various high schools throughout the city of Oakland. Uh, um, and we're very, very excited for them. And so we just asked them to come by and allow uh, our, our board to see uh, what our future looks like and to put pressure on them because we want all of you to be physicians, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, uh, technicians, whatever you choose to be in Alameda Hospital, or lawyers, as the case may be. <laughs> Mike, Mike said he actually he presented to this group. He said he did a good job. I continue you probably fell asleep, but I will. will, will. That's a, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but anyway, we, we are excited uh, to continue to um, uh, do our part to invest in the uh, future uh, of uh, Oakland and uh, Alameda County, and you represent that. And so I just wanted to give this board a chance to see your bright, shiny faces and, and, and congratulate you. So I want to recognize to our, our, our leaders for this this group who also see you know Hill is one of our programs that's in our pipeline for opportunities program. Uh, so a lot of different programs that we do uh, throughout grade school all the way up through college uh, um, uh, to support the future of, of, of healthcare delivery and uh, um, 
academic excellence throughout um, uh, Alameda County. And so Jessica Pitt, uh, who many of you may know, uh, is in the, they can't see you, Jessica. And, and Shannon Ng, actually, if you'll come forward as well, um, are, the, are the leaders of this uh, very, very important program for us. So I want to recognize and, and thank them for the work that they do. This, this is the cool stuff that we do, actually. Yeah. This, this is super exciting. Um, I also, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, publicly thank, though not here, many of our uh, providers and, and leaders who uh, provide uh, rotation opportunities and exposure to, to these students as they participate in the program. Uh, so, so leaders throughout all of our, I think it's about 18 different departments that, that work with these students over the course of their, their time here. I've had a few opportunities to sit down and talk to a few of them and to just it's like the highlight of, of my time when I get to talk to any one of them about their future and try to live vicariously through them. So uh, uh, with that, I, I, I know you have a graduation to get to, uh, um, so I just wanted to thank you. And Susanna has uh, passed out a little tokens of our appreciation for you, what you've already done and what you will do. And we have a few others for those who aren't with us right now but who will be at your graduation. So thanks again, congratulations, and we wish you all the best. Go back here before you continue with that. Um, I just point out that, as you know, um, there are two other cities that we have acute care facilities, and there's the prob five or six other high schools, and um, a number of other middle schools and elementary schools in those cities. So, I hope that we can expand this program. Too. So, uh, uh, let's let's address your hope right now. Uh, um, this summer, actually, we're piloting a small summer internship uh, uh, program at San Leandro Hospital that's in partnership with the San Leandro Chamber of Commerce, uh, where we have eight high school students who are participating in that uh, internship. In 1617, just so we recognize that, you know, as you said, uh, the acute facilities, but not uh, uh, wellness centers as well, uh, in the next school year, um, uh, we're expanding the program to provide 200 internships to Oakland middle and high school students. And we're applying for a grant that would expand the program to the Eastmont Wellness Center as well. And there are efforts on the way to, um, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie can speak to what we're doing at uh, Alameda as well. So Yeah, this fall we're anticipating uh, the FACES program expanding to Alameda, and it will include Encinal High School and Alameda High School students. Thanks, Bonnie. I know you've been working with Sean McFetridge, the superintendent in Alameda, and I, I'm glad to hear that that's moving on. Thanks. How's that? Uh, that's good for your hope, right? So, so see, we're, we're on it. Uh, the last thing I want to say, actually, Jessica's still here. Uh, uh, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Uh, this is actually under my last thing I want to point out, that I had the uh, fortune today to, um, uh, along with Terry Lightfoot, uh, do a meet and greet with the mayor of Oakland, Mayor Libby Schaff, and, uh, um, you know, with her efforts in Oakland Promise and all the efforts to uh, support uh, uh, different aspects of that, brilliant babies and uh, the middle school program and the other stuff that there's a lot of overlap to what we're doing and there's sometimes a little too close to home. I le learned that she's a huge fan of Jessica Pitt and that Jessica almost worked for her but elected to stay with us and so I saw the guy who took her job and I said, I'm glad you're here and uh, and she's she's with us. So I uh, just want to recognize Jessica for not only what she's doing here but the linkages that she's creating between the work that we're doing and, and the partnerships and the, uh, throughout uh, not just Oakland, but all of Alameda County for, for taking care of our community and our future. So thank you, Jessica. And with that, that's all That's all I have for my report. I just have something to say. This is my nephew. Is that right? This has got to be something. Oh, is that right? Oh, nice. Great, great. Nice to meet you. Yes. Yeah.
<laughs> Thank you, Louise. Yeah, yeah. That's right. See, so it's a family affair. You, you got to come here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Louise. This is Gabby's boy. Nice to meet you. All right. Take care. Right, Thank you for everything you had. Thank you, sir. Okay. Yeah, one more year to go and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. <coughs> any trustees have any questions about the report? That's it just, is. yeah, wonderful. Really just exciting to see those young people. <clears throat> um, and so I, I will ask a question or two. I mean, so the goal is they will by next year have, have you know, jobs in our system? Is that, is that uh, hope? Not that? always. Some of these are, you know, high, they're all high school students. So I understand We're that. hoping that we're supporting, you know, further continued yeah. education uh, yeah. uh, in, in, in as many cases as they want to do and and uh, giving them a good launch pad, a launch pad to do that. But uh, actually you'll hear, uh, I think, I don't know what level of granularity we go into today, but uh, when David and Jeanette talk about the support services side mm -hmm. of our strategic plan, uh, some of our efforts are to really tie <clears> that work. Where Jeanette, you could address some of it now to making sure that we, we further tighten that pipeline to actual career opportunities within the organization. Well, we, we will um, be figuring out ways to, you know, to provide them entry-level opportunities, but frankly, when I've, when I've talked to them, many of them, you know, are excited about, um, about becoming nurses and, and, and working in, in specific units. Um, you know, one person I, I met was interested in being an, an oncology nurse and working in our, our infusion center, and there are a couple that are interested in medicine. So, so we don't want to take them so quickly that we don't that, that we're not able to help them help them grow the learning and skills that they need to um, to care for our patients. No. By any chance, can any of them volunteer though, if they wanted to be patient navigators, helping people get to the right part of the hospital? Uh, yes, they can. In, in fact, they could they could volunteer. Um, well, they're well, they're in high school, and and we use volunteers in a number of ways that they're not used in other in other hospitals. I mean, some of them actually, you know, do um, basic basic work. We have a large program in the ED and a large program in surgery and in some of our other departments. And, and the reason for my question is that for many young people of color, in particular, it is extraordinarily helpful to their career development if they can imagine themselves in the future as a physician, as a nurse, as a director. And so ha having an opportunity to remain in touch with us through a volunteer program is a lovely way to encourage them and, yeah. and for us to check up on them too. I always like saying, hey, how's school going? Or those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I have, um, I, I have the pleasure of having Jessica report to me, so so I'm I'm pretty in, involved in this program, and it's really exciting. We're we've been talking about ways that we can that we can stay in contact with the students, you know, through their their career growth, and um, and potentially assigning mentors to them that can um, members of our staff and and leaders that can that can stay in touch with them. Dr. Bouquet. Uh, so as someone who touches face with them nearly every day when they're here, uh, Trustee Hernandez, I think you are exactly right. What this op 
offers them is an opportunity to envision something that they had never seen before. Mm -hmm. So they touch face on our endoscopy unit nearly every day that they're here over this five weeks. So to see them see from a chief of GI uh, to a tech, to a nurse, to a transport person, and to actually interface with our house staff. I'll tell you, we had an extremely extraordinary uh, interaction about a month ago. One of our house staff uh, uh, was born and raised in South Central LA, and he was the first of his of his of his family to go uh, to college, and then to go to med school, and then to get a PhD at Caltech, and for him to touch face with them, and for them to envision a world of opportunity from a place where there was never such consideration for me was, you could see the light fly, uh, fire off in, the, in those three students' eyes right there. Yeah. So that's what the extraordinary opportunity here is for this, and we, we are fortunate to, to get to see it for any, for any of us who interface with this, with this service on a daily basis, and it's an extraordinary program. So I'd, I'd add two points to that. Um, uh, we did do an appreciation event uh, a, f a few months ago for the staff who volunteer to uh, provide these sorts of opportunities, and. Uh, um, Trustee Lawrence happened to be on campus, and so we uh, asked her to say a few words. And of course, as an educator, uh, she pointed out to those volunteers that you know they may not actually realize at this point the impact that they are having on those students' lives. And in many cases, they may not go on to a, a career in medicine, but the, the exposure to professionalism yep. and, and what that looks like and the attainability of that goes a long way. Last thing I'll say is, um, uh, from a personal uh, vantage point, um, I had a similar sort of, uh, obviously, background, but then uh, exposure in college where I had the opportunity to shadow the, um, the chair um, of the um, emergency medicine program at, at Grady Hospital in Atlanta, and he's still the... Uh, uh, I should say the chief of the Department of uh, Emergency Medicine and is on a board that I'm on at a national level now and when I reminded him of this uh, shadowing experience he turned to a colleague and said you see what happens you you, you shadow me and you become a CEO <laughs> I was like yes all credit to you that's what did it for me yeah, yeah. so thank you thank you yeah. uh, where are we? Uh, so we're on to the consent agenda um, we have approval. All right, I have a motion. I second. All in favor? Aye. All right. Was Aye. That, was that of the entire agenda or just the minutes? That was the consent. That was the minutes, policies, and procedures. Excellent. And Great. So we can, um, contracts. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. So we can move on to our monthly financial update. Okay. I've got David. some verbal reports. <clears throat> We're deep into the year-end audit procedures. We expect to close the books on June, um, this, um, uh, actually tomorrow. Um, we're going through a whole variety of the types of issues that you'd expect a year-end, including this GASB 68 pension issue again. Uh, but the audit's going very well so far, uh, enjoying working with our new auditors. Um, we're working on a variety of um, <clears throat> reimbursement issues that are going to affect how much money we get next year. Uh, including closing and reconciling the uh, 2015 P14 cost report. I know that sounds very exciting. We won't go through the details tonight. Uh, we did just uh, successfully resolve the what's called the AB85 redirection, which is the sharing of money between the county and the state. Uh, we hadn't reserved anything for that. It looks like we're going to get about $6.9 uh, back through that program, so that will be a nice pickup for us. 
or he had. Did we expect that? No, we didn't. It was hard. So you couldn't um, you couldn't forecast it. So we were uh, hopeful, but uh, didn't book it. Um, <clears throat> we um, uh, have kind of completed our analysis on this uh, Sara cost allocation issue, as well as this capital cost reimbursement issue, and we'll be talking with the county over the next few weeks about kind of a joint position on that. So I think we're making progress. Um, and then finally on the uh, contracts issue, in addition to the um, uh, commercial contracts we talked about, uh, the real big events right now are we're in active negotiations with the Alameda Alliance for Medi-Cal Managed Care and also with Anthem for their Medi-Cal Managed Care. Those are actually the uh, very big dollar programs we have. And then finally, I'll just mention that uh, you may have seen in the Business Times uh, that uh, Canopy Health, which is this new um, <clears throat> health insurance plan that we're part of, is going active on August 1st. And we think over the future, um, you know, two, three years, we should be picking up significant commercial volume uh, through that product. So that's all I have to say. Happy to It's called Canopy Health. You might have recalled we talked about bacon, bacon in the past. It's they changed the name to Canopy Health. What a good name! Canopy is better for the health of bacon. It was the area of healthcare. Yeah, but it's still bacon. There's so many lines that you could have after that. Yeah, I won't go there. Well, the one the one they use is they said we wanted to go kosher. <laughs> Thank you. Mike, you want to talk to us about our policies and procedure update? Yes, thank you very much. And this is just an update. So if you'll recall when we um, adopted the revised version of the bylaws um, back in the fall, one of the uh, points that was raised is that we would need to amend or modify our board's uh, policies and procedures to conform to those new bylaws. And the bylaws, the current version, are more streamlined with the idea that more of the process and detail would be incorporated into the policies mm -hmm. and procedures. So at, uh, pages 23 and 24 of the packet is just my sort of initial draft of an outline of what those policies and procedures might look like. Uh, it is not, you know, my intent that this incorporates everything that, you know, either should be in there or needs to be in there, but I think it is a good start in terms of the uh, sort of the minimum requirements, if you will. And what I was hoping to do this evening was to solicit um, perhaps trustees who might, you know, like to uh, join me on the process of actually filling this out, um, both in terms of, you know, the scope of it and then the actual content of the pieces that we would include. Um, as part of the process, you know, I have um, arranged a meeting with each of the chiefs of staff uh, that I will <coughs> engage and I think we have that scheduled for next week. And part of the meeting with each of the chief of staffs is to, you know, solicit their support in terms of uh, incorporating into the board policies and procedures the issues that sort of intersect or overlap with the medical staff. And so, you know, for example, you know, uh, you know procedures, you know, related, you know, to um, you know, their bylaws, the interrelationship between their bylaws, uh, you know, the, the quality issues, you know, patient care issues. A lot of the detail that used to be in the description of the QPSC committee, that's sort of a starting point, that's not necessarily the end point, but you'll see <coughs> 
that in particular, you know, under Section 8, you know, I have, you know, set out or I'm proposing that we set out, you know, uh, a specific section of the policies and procedures that focuses solely on quality, patient safety obligations and responsibilities. And then it talks about, you know, what the board does, what the medical staff would do, you know, that type of thing. So I'm going to meet with them first, get their input, um, and then, you know, when, you know, getting together with the ad hoc committee, it will be with the benefit of my thoughts as well as medical staff input on what they would like to see as part of the policies and procedures as well, too. Um, and I don't know when we would be discussing this, but um, I think there's been discussion about adding back the HR committee. And um, I, I don't know that we have finalized that. It was going to be brought up again for discussion. In September. Yeah. So. I, I think we're targeting September as the uh, retrospective review of the right. structure. That's right. right. Yeah. So, so, and by... Uh, way of that, if that is added, then that would be another appendix. There would be a separate appendix, you know, for the uh, the, uh, the charter uh, for that particular committee. So I think you're asking for some volunteers, right? Yes. Well, what I would anticipate is after I've had a chance, you know, to talk with the medical staffs, that we would prepare uh, a you know, a fuller draft version. I don't want to get too far ahead, you know, and give you something where you feel constrained to. But I, you know, once I get their input, then I feel sort of comfortable putting together more of a draft document. And I'm envisioning that, you know, maybe one or two meetings, you know, with the ad hoc committee, the first one to go through, mm -hmm. get your sort of feedback and put on what we have, and then maybe a follow-up meeting to incorporate what we're looking at. Uh, and then that would be parallel to, you know, because depending upon the review session in September, that might add some things to it, so. Well, as one of the, I'll take a little credit for the, the elimination of the governance committee, and um, having done that, I guess I could volunteer to improve the policies and procedures going forward, so I certainly would like to help out with this. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And I will volunteer. I would like to volunteer as well. Okay. Right. So I heard three people. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so um, I want to point out also that I think uh, at some point in the process toward the end, we'll share this with the Board of Supervisors because a lot of this came out of our governance conversations back in the winter about aligning our policies with our, um, our bylaws that they adopt. And so I think it just strengthens our relationship with them to yes. show that we're, we're continuing that process. Yeah, and, and I had made that... Uh, representation um, point came up where um, uh, when we were going through the proposal of the or the nomination of the trustees to the Board of Supervisors I actually had a conversation with them about where we stood in terms of this piece of it as well too. So. Good. <coughs> Alrighty, thank you. Thank you. And I think we have uh, Bonnie and you have a guest with you. You guys are up to talk about the uh, paramedicine pilot. <laughs> Wherever you're comfortable. Okay. Or, oh, we'll sit down here. Okay. All right. Well, I'm honored to be able to introduce to you again uh, Rick Zombeck, the uh, EMS chief for Alameda Fire Department. 
I think you may remember meeting him about a year ago uh, when he brought his crew of uh, one of the most group of compassionate paramedics I've ever met. Um, and since that year ago presentation, I had a chance to go on a ride along on uh, uh, to visit a couple of the patients' homes that they go to uh, to interact with. And it's really interesting. About 80% of their job is networking, and 20% of it's really listening. And it's really uh, neat to see um, you know the looks on their patients' faces when they describe their experiences. Um, and some of them were in tears, uh, just in gratitude of what they've done for them. And these are a special group of guys that really um, have taken the typical firefighter type of job, responding to 911 calls and being a resource for these individuals who may not even have family members there to help them with the basic day-to-day things, sorting through over 100 medication (laughs) bottles that um, could be years old, um, helping people with soiled linens on their beds that they're just too depressed to change them. And in uh, other visits, as they go through a 30-day period, it's really neat to see how their emotions change. They become less depressed, and it's, it's just nice to see that transition. So um, these guys are making a huge difference in our community. And I really want to give most of the presentation over to uh, Chief Rick because him and his team have really done a phenomenal job. And this is just an update for you to see what the results are. Well, thanks for having us here today. And first of all, I will try to do some of the presentation, but since Bonnie wrote it, I'm going to have to you know, thank you very much, Bonnie. Uh, no, we'll, uh, we'll do it together is what I'm saying. So thanks very much. And I, I guess I'm back. Uh, we met um, some months ago over in Alameda, and I brought the, a couple of the community paramedics. So you, I think that they presented at that time, but you were looking for an update. So can we just move into the presentation? We're going to... Oh, somebody's got it. Okay, maybe we can't. So I think Bonnie had an idea that she'd like us to, to talk about uh, what, I, I, actually what I think community paramedicine solves in the community, in a, hopefully in the bigger picture, how it integrates some of the things that we can do to complement some of the other services that are already going on. Because frankly, what we do is we simply piggyback on what everybody else is doing and we, we try and connect folks with services. That's a big part of what they do. Um, we, we'll talk a little bit, oops, back up for just a second, we're going to talk a little bit about the project timeline, of this uh, pilot project and some of the interventions that we've had with the patients and ultimately a, a little bit about data. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, th- so we started out, first of all, just as a refresher for you that uh, saw this before and perhaps a few of you that didn't, we'll bring you up to speed. The, um, the program is a pilot in the state of California. We were um, among 13 agencies statewide that were uh, authorized to run this two-year pilot st- or be a part of this two-year pilot study. We're very, very um, thrilled to be involved. It gives us an opportunity to see if we can't help the state determine whether there's a, a role for community paramedicine. Uh, somewhere in the system. We think we're doing that, by the way, but um, we're happy to be involved in, in that. Uh, we actually are partnered up with Alameda County. As you well know, Alameda County Health Services and their EMS uh, department or division are um, our oversight body and emergency services out in the 
County. Uh, so the City of Alameda's Fire Department provides emergency services. Our community, our paramedics, and these five in the picture are five from our uh, our paramedics at large in the City of Alameda Fire Department. But the county uh, funded the program in large part with uh, some funds from their general fund and $750,000 came from Measure A funds. And we're really happy to say that. Um, I know that Measure A tries to to sponsor upstart programs like ours and see if they can't get them off the ground. And um, we're happy uh, that they are sponsoring us and we hope that we'll prove them their funds well spent. And we um, started the program Boots on the Ground June 1st of 2015. Although we started our training some months earlier back in January of 15. But after we got through all of that, we, we actually started providing service June 1st. And I know that Bonnie, I believe, wants to talk about this slide. <laughs> so just uh, in a nutshell, uh, looking at the readmissions, we focused on the uh, top six or top five actually diagnoses. So looking at congestive heart failure, um, COPD, sepsis, pneumonia, diabetes, and uh, MI. And the ones that are in italics are the ones that are the highest uh, utilized uh, referrals from Alameda Hospital, the congestive heart failure, COPD, and pneumonia uh, with our patient population. Uh, but when you think about the Alameda County frequent users of the emergency room, uh, there were 163 patients that were transported more than 20 times. 32 more than 50 times, and 11 more than 100 times. And there's even a handful that were transported almost every single day of the year. Uh, my husband, working with the um, fire department uh, previously and then also with the ambulance company currently, um, he would tell me stories of where patients just literally abuse the system just to get a ride. And, and it's unfortunate because it ties up 911 resources. And so they have done a great job in reducing the frequent users of these ERs. They call them uh, friendly faces rather than frequent flyers. Um, and so it's a nice term to use. But they've really done a good job in uh, reducing the overall health care costs. And actually, uh, Chief Rick has some details on how much money we've been able to save. Yeah, certainly. And, and, and by the way, our, again, our folks are out in the field, they're, they're connecting the dots for people. And I think that's in part why they're able to make a small impact. And uh, the more we expand the program, I think it'll be a larger impact. One point I wanted to make about the, what Bonnie just said a minute ago about these folks that we are um, gathering basically our data on. We had a, a baseline group of folks that Bonnie just outlined that used the services quite a bit. And so we took that group of people and we followed them forward. So we know what they're statistically, what they were doing in the past, and then those, that same group we're looking at as we've intervened. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, some can, of the things I, that are- Can I interrupt yes, really quick? Yes, absolutely, and ask a question. Um, back on the last slide, it said Alameda County. Is that Alameda yeah. County that had all those users, or is that- it, within the city of Alameda? No, that's Alameda County okay. with these users in particular that we're going to detail in just a minute. Okay. So we've got some uh, familiar faces mm -hmm. is actually the term we use. And uh, the, these... <laughs> Bonnie calls them friendly faces, and that's true. <laughs> we have become friends with these folks. So uh, what we've done, though, is we followed this group 
in particular, along with many other folks, but so that we could track our, our, our progress, how, how much we're helping those folks. So uh, some of the things that we're, uh, some of the things that our community paramedics do is they, uh, I mentioned earlier, they, they connect these folks with services. And we know that Alameda <coughs> County has many services. The problem is, and I know this from my days when I was working in the fire department online, is the folks online really don't know what these services are. And there's that disconnect, which there always is. We, we know there's, it, it seems like inevitably there's always a gap somewhere and things fall through that gap. And what happens for these folks is there's a gap because they don't know about these services. And these services could probably help them if they simply knew about them. And better yet, if somebody could help them get connected. Because in some cases, these folks, frankly, they're, they're just not helping themselves. So we're not only showing them the service, but we're helping them get connected with it. So one of the things that, uh, one of the two things that we're, in our particular part of the pilot study that we are following are, as we mentioned, the familiar faces and also the post-discharge or post-hospital discharge folks in those specific diagnoses that were mentioned earlier. I think we went through the list of, yeah, okay. Um, and so in our small pilot that we're doing in the city of Alameda, we've had um, so far in, since we started operation in... June of 2015, and this, these are stats, by the way, through um, March of this year. So we, the, the current, the previous quarter of the second quarter of the year, we, we haven't compiled those yet. We're in the process of that. So these are stats for, for in uh, about 10 months. So what we did from, and it says July there, but we, there's a little confusion here. I'd, July was the day that we started with our post-discharge folks. June 1st was when we started with familiar faces, so there was, it was staggered. So you'll see June or you'll see July. July 15, since then we've had 109 patients that fit the criteria coming out of Alameda Hospital that we have worked with. Of those, three of them readmitted. So I want to I take a minute to explain this slide because we're not about to try and, you know, oversell the, the program. We simply, uh, and it might look that way when you look at this slide, so I want to explain it just a bit. So we had 109 patients in our study group, three of them readmitted. So that's a, a readmittance rate of 2.75%. Uh, the hospital at large during that same time frame had a general population readmittance of 10.5%. So all we did is we just extrapolated a little bit here. We said, well, if our folks that we followed up on went back into the hospital at the same rate as the hospital's at-large population, then, you know, they, they would have readmitted at that 10.5% rate. In other words, we reduced that rate by 30 by 74%, and that's how we came but, up with but, that number. Rick, wouldn't it be even more than 74%? I mean, because your population is... If all the if all the discharges include um, pediatrics or anybody who goes to the ER and ortho who have somebody who hurt themselves at work or um, and your 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 population is um, diagnosis and age and housing situation and social supports so absolutely 
you, you're selling the program for me, thank yeah. you, because you're right. We, it's hard for us to pull that data out. We've been struggling with that, frankly. And I want to say, just on an aside here for a moment, that Alameda Hospital and, this, and Alameda Health Systems have been working with us, you know, side by side, working really hard <coughs> to help us with some of the data collection and, and supporting the program um, to, you know, work through some of these things. So, first of all, I want to I throw that out there, and I, I was remiss in the beginning when I mentioned Alameda County, but I didn't actually mention Alameda Hospital and, and the system at large. But, yes, you're right. We would certainly have even a better stat there if we could pull that out. We just haven't been able to yet, frankly. But our, our, that's a conservative number is, is where I'm coming from with that. So our, our, if we were simply comparing, because we're, we have the chronic cases. We have the hard-to-deal-with cases. Can we compare them to, can we compare them to themselves in the prior year? Yes, and that's what we're trying to work on right now, okay. frankly. So because, some of these because honestly, uh, I'm sorry, but you're, the cost savings is 250000 is really conservative, and if the program costs 750000 Yes. You know, that doesn't necessarily pencil out, even though I know it has a lot of intrinsic value that you can't capture yeah. in dollars. But I'm willing to bet you're probably saving more like a couple million. Well, we're certainly saving some money. We'll yeah. just say that. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. We're helping. We're helping with the problem. But, and you're right. And we've been working on this data. And frankly, your folks in your offices behind the scenes have been helping as best they can. And, but these are hard stats to pull out. They're, we're talking about pulling individual cases out in some, uh, these five diagnoses. And it's uh, easier said than done. So what we've started with is these stats. And we're working to improve this, believe me. So, um, and you're right. The estimated cost savings, I'll, I'll give you an idea of how we came, about, came up with this. So we took and we had a conversation, and I believe that Carol Ravenera from Alameda <laughs> Hospital spoke with, perhaps it's Mr. Cox over there. Are you the CFO? I think she may have spoken to you or your assistant about uh, the, a good number to use uh, for an average cost per day for a readmittance, and we came up with the number $5,000 per day. And, okay, and then we, we looked at what the average stay was, and it was six days. There's your $30,000. And then we just, obviously, we just multiplied out. We saved you eight patients in our small group, not quite eight. And there's your number. So um, we, uh, and those are rounded, of course. So again, I'm not trying to say in any way, shape, or form that these are anything except for broad brush statistics that we're trying to show you, give you a, a, a picture. Um, when, as we continue through the program, we've only got 10 months of data right here. And actually, in this particular stat, it's nine because post-hospital discharge started July 1st, whereas familiar faces started June 1st. So that's nine months' worth of data, and we're still working hard to, to improve on those stats. And, and what I mean is to clarify them more. Okay, familiar faces, 47% reduction in usage in 911. So this is the baseline population. We had that group of baseline folks that use the service a lot. I actually have month or quarter by quarter stats that I um, just had my computer close on me. But I mean, over time, over the quarters, we've had reductions of 55%, 57%, 40, and 35. That's our um, and I should say the first number is only 
um, one month. Now we're talking familiar faces, June 1st, quarter, sec, third quarter of 15, fourth quarter of 15, first quarter of 16. Um, overall, we've reduced their usage of the system by 47% that baseline group, because we're interacting with them, we're working with them. That number's accurate. That number is the number of times they called for 911 compared to prior, the prior year. So um, it's, it's a good number, um, but it's not all we're doing. We're working with many more people than just those baseline folks. And that's where we really think we're making another difference, which is we're actually working with a general population of folks that, that um, we see every day out on the street our paramedics in the field are calling our community paramedics and saying, I just uh, went on a call and I saw this, this uh, person in the field. Looks like they could use your service. Here's their information. Give them a call. We do that time and time again. These are the folks that are falling through the cracks. And if you looked at one of the pictures, and Bonnie, did you, did you capture the pictures? Um, can you back up? So one, one more further back. Well, maybe it didn't get in this version of the presentation, but if you go forward, this is the medics, and they're meeting with one of the folks, um, one of our people that we see a lot and have seen a lot. So these are people that are underserved and falling through the cracks, and we're, we're really, <coughs> I, I personally am very proud of what these, these individuals, these five gentlemen are doing. Move forward to where we were, please. So finally. Before, before you, yes, absolutely. I have a question about um, the results, and. And, and, the, and about the clients, are these individuals, do you, does the intervention happen at discharge or does it happen up, upon any referral of? of Great someone? question. And so what we do is we work again closely with Alameda Hospital. This is our small little incubator in Alameda, just Alameda Hospital. We'll do more in the future. The, um, so when the hospital gets a patient that they feel two things, whether they fit into the, 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 diagnoses that we're following officially for the state and reporting to UCSF that data or not, if they just feel that they can use the services, they refer them to us. And then we have a goal to, to um, actually make contact with those folks within 48 hours. So that referral comes from social services at Alameda Hospital? Yes, it comes from their case managers, yes. And we meet with their case managers daily. In fact, I think that... Um, they expect to see us at a certain time every, every morning uh, of five days a week. So um, we're in close contact with them. And they're going over the cases with us, discharge orders, et cetera. And then ultimately we're meeting as soon as possible um, with those patients and, uh, and interacting. As far as the familiar, face, the familiar faces, folks, we get referrals from the hospital in some cases because those are folks that they see a lot too in the, in the ED. And they're also folks that we see out on the street a lot. So we get referrals from the hospital and from our folks out on the street. And, yes, could, absolutely. I may have missed this at the beginning. Who's paying for the additional time that your paramedics are, are actually spending with these participants? So this is funded. It's a funded through the county of Alameda's um, general fund and measure a funds yeah. well the county got a grant from the state right it was a, no there was no. 13 but you said there at first there was 13 the state didn't grant any funds it wasn't funded it was uh, approval for the pilot yeah it was only approved oh, okay. so thank you yes the, the state approved 
are operating the pilot. But the funding, and it was a collaboration. Obviously, they, the, they approved it through Alameda County EMS, and, to Alameda County EMS. And, and we're providing the service, and the county EMS and Measure A are providing the funding. So on the last slide, as we go into the next steps, and there's what we're looking to do, and I mentioned this in the beginning, is, is we'd like to prove the concept. Uh, we'd like to do our small part in proving the concept for the state to expand the scope of practice for paramedics on the field. Now, we know that there's a lot of controversy over this, but we feel like what our paramedics are doing is exactly what they were trained to do. They're compassionate people that have a skill set that they can, they, can do, um, uh, they can go out and they can uh, work with people and help them uh, reconcile their medications and make sure that they follow up with their doctor's visits and things that I know other groups are doing, but they're, they're right in between. They're falling through the cracks oftentimes. Same thing with these folks on the street. I mean, I was out there for many years on the street, and I found time and time again that I'd go on folks, and i just like, how can we help these people? Because all we're doing is we're taking them to the ER. And it, that, that's just not cutting it. And we know that. I mean, everybody in this room knows that. We need to figure out a better way to help these people. So um, in, in the future, what we're looking to do is um, to expand this, the, the pro program, perhaps to expand our um, reach, maybe um, capture some folks, or maybe should put it more eloquently, um, service, provide service to some folks that come out of perhaps Highland Hospital and are discharged into Alameda. Um, right now, we're only getting folks out of Alameda Hospital or any other hospital in, in the system, frankly, San Leandro, if that should ever be the case to come back into Alameda, or who knows what, because I'll tell you, we're interested in doing whatever we can to make this a, a successful program. And we're collaborating with Alameda County. We're looking to extend the pilot into 2017 and gather more data for the state of or for the state's pilot and, and um, and see if we can't uh, make a small difference in our way. And one of the gaps he's referring to is... All clear. All the code grays and all the 5150s are all clear. All clear. All clear. That's good. Look at all the holes. World's One thing I learned is uh, that it takes about home health that takes them about seven days to get to a patient. And most of the readmissions happen within the first seven days of discharge. So they are on their doorstep within 24 to 48 hours. And that's where the biggest difference is, I think. Um, and uh, we are honored to be able to uh, be part of the Hospital Council Summit coming up end of September. Uh, we'll be presenting uh, something similar to this uh, in addition to... Yes, with updated statistics. And uh, this will hopefully be able to share information across many leaders within Northern California uh, to be able to um, 
to share the specifics about this so that they will get excited to do this in their communities. Uh, what Chief Rick was saying about not being able to take patients, for example, that live in you know Highland area and San Leandro area, it's not by choice, but it's because they have to be restricted to the Alameda zip codes. If we can expand this, that would be great because there are a lot of patients that could qualify for this that are at Alameda Hospital, but unfortunately don't live within those district or those zip codes. So uh, we're excited to be able to do that. But this was an honor to be able to be chosen uh, as one of the participants and winners for the Innovation Challenge. This is the first time they've ever done this uh, for the hospital council. So uh, we're excited to showcase all the great work they've done. Awesome. Well, I look forward to um, being there at the hospital council to hear that presentation. Can I, make, can I ask a question? Please. Um, uh, and to that point, to your to your last point, Bonnie, about the um, Alameda zip codes and about the the constraints, I'll ask Rick actually um, how how much is this program successful because Alameda Paramedics and Alameda Fire Department is the contractor for Alameda Hospital. What would happen if there were numerous um, paramedics that were transferring or working with the hospital? Would it well, make it well, harder? Yeah, would it be harder if it wasn't if it wasn't if it wasn't Alameda Fire Department and Alameda Hospital, because we have such a close relationship? Well, I, I I don't know if I can answer the harder question, but I would say we certainly have a very close relationship with the hospital. Obviously, we've been working with the hospital over my entire career, and so I think that helps a lot. What we're trying to do is see if we can't. And by the way, in, in that vein, um, as far as being able to. Um, use other other providers. We're actually currently working with Alameda County EMS and we're in a conversation with them about bringing in other providers into the program, in other words the paramedics pluses of the of the area and also uh, working with the health coaches and maybe doing some sort of collaboration with them because Alameda County has their health coaches and so they've got a few programs that we're right at this moment talking with them to see if we can do some integrations because that is a question that we need to answer and I can't actually answer it right now but I would I'd be speculating otherwise and, and my other question is um, in Oakland some years ago about eight years ago we started a program that since I think um, been terminated or deteriorated it was called the 911 registry and what it was was um, the Oakland uh, Aging Services was working with Oakland Fire and paramedics to identify, just to identify those people who were at risk, who were being either had been transported numerous times or were at risk of um, leaving and being discharged and not having anywhere to go because often the paramedic or, or the, the uh, transport would happen through um, Oakland Fire or Oakland Paramedics. And so how much, my question is, how much information do you collect and share back with the either Alameda Hospital or any other provider in terms of, the, I guess, uh, the goal of 911 registry was to make sure that providers were aware of the issues facing these individuals when they, when they, when they became a familiar face or once they were familiar. So how, how much does this program inform you as a paramedic and, and in transport and inform the hospital when these people necessarily end up coming back? Okay, so, well, I think I can answer your question by describing what we do. It's a, <coughs> I'm a little fuzzy on the, 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 
the question, but I, what we do is we have a, um, a collaboration that we form between Alameda Hospital and their, uh, their case managers, and we work very closely daily with them, and Alameda's uh, uh, manager of case managers, who we work very closely with. I'm, I'm typically working on statistics with her, as well as Alameda County's uh, liaison to this program. So the three of us, actually, myself and the person at Alameda County and the person at Alameda Hospital specifically, share this data back and forth regularly, and we're talking about the, um, the, the results, the impacts that we're having, and you know what we can do differently, frankly. So we're, it's kind of on the, I, I would say, a, a very dynamic process we're looking, because frankly, we're doing something for the state, we're, we have been granted this opportunity to do this and gather this data, and we send that data over to UCSF. But we also are doing more because we've decided that we want to do everything we can with the time that we have and, uh, during this pilot. So we work closely with the Alameda County person and report statistics to the Measure A Committee, which are inclusive of the stuff that we send to UCSF, but more, because we have other patients that don't fit the study criteria. So we're working very closely with both the hospital and the case manager over there, manager, and as well as the, our liaison over at, at, at the county. So I think we're sharing this data pretty readily, as well as our QI person that works in our department that's overseeing what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're looking at what we could do differently and improve our results. And in fact, we have a, a, a steering committee meeting tomorrow where we're gonna go over some cases and with that, that group. And so yeah, we work pretty closely. Well, I, I, I can't wait for you to come back with more data. And, and um, I think this is the Future. Oh. Oh, I thought Dr. Oh, sorry. I always have something to say. No, here's what I want to say. It's a, it's a, it's a great, it's, a, it's amazing forward-thinking program. Uh, a couple points, um, Bonnie. Maybe you can help. We have a kind of an interesting model here at at Highland, which has not yet gone viral throughout the organization. Something called Highland Health Advocates, which could may, maybe be an amazing kind of kernel of, of something to start with. So, putting the chief in contact with them, I think, might be helpful. Uh, and then my third comment is, uh, Chief, your business plan, uh, you, I agree with, with the, the, the board members, you undersell yourself uh, grossly. I think you have some statistical opportunities. I think you have a selection bias towards the negative. We have some national data, which includes 30-day readmission rates for CHF by diagnosis, which is around 25%. So I think, uh, I think you vastly have undersold yourself, sir, and uh, I think you have a great opportunity to make a stronger business argument for this because this uh, this looks to sell itself well thank you for that I'll just say that it's not my forte uh, <laughs> per se because I'm a service provider I've worked in the fire department for many years and I enjoy what we're doing um, we get a lot of satisfaction out of this because we really do feel like we're helping some folks that just aren't being helped any other way so it, it it's exciting I get excited about ta talking about this with folks because I do out in the community but when it comes to this stuff it's like well you know, we, we just do our work out in the field. So you're right. I mean, I, I think I need a right-hand person to help me uh, with that side of the sales, sales job because, uh, frankly, that's not uh, 
natural for, I think, a firefighter and somebody that does what I do or I have done most of my life. So, Bonnie, I'll tell you that our Department of Medicine has a robust research engine, uh, which is used to extracting these kind of data. <laughs> so I will, I will offer that resource for, for Dr. Love to have it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'll finish by saying this is population health services at this its best. Is, I mean, this is yes. what ACA wants us to do. This is where we're going. And like, so, sorry. great. Um, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Um, where are we? Uh, I think. So, yeah. Um, on page 25 of the package, we uh, provided you a, uh, a work plan to bring the rehab location, relocation project to your attention uh, for approval. Our current plan is to have it in front of the board on October 12th, going first to the Finance Committee on October 5th. There's a lot of work to be done uh, between now and then. Uh, we need to validate the cost estimate, which you've just received. Uh, we need to um, make sure that the contract uh, meets our needs, and Mike has assisted in retaining uh, specialized counsel for that purpose. Um, we should uh, we intend to um, uh, look at the rehab care contracts, and that, that's been presented to the board in the past. We need to evaluate that and see how it fits in. Uh, we need to um, <clears throat> uh, redo the volume projections and look at bed capacity, uh, both at the rehab unit and the hospital. And we have to develop a pro forma on what the operations look like. And, of course, we have to be able to tell you that we have a plan to pay for it all. So we're working on those. Um, We have a nice team approach to this. This is a a template that was recently developed that we're using for the um, uh, initiatives that are coming out of the strategic plan. So you'll probably see this format in the future, and we'll continue to refine it. But um, I think we're, uh, we're on track. And... Hopefully, we'll be in front of the Finance Committee on October 5th. Great. Trustees, have any questions? No. No? Anyone on the phone? Just checking. No questions, bro. <laughs> All righty. Thank you. And I think, David, it's still you, right? Um, well, I don't need to say anything else. Just uh, give it to, to David and Jeanette to do the uh, continuation just for the other trustees who were able to participate in the education session. Uh, we, uh, you'll recall, uh, got through most of the plan, but the, uh, um, the uh, unit that we're not calling a business unit, uh, but the support services, which is sort of the infrastructure that supports all six of the business units, was where we uh, had to cut off our presentation. So uh, we're, we're focusing on that part of the presentation today. I do. We have one part that we'll show you as an update to some of the discussion that was happening uh, uh, or feedback that we received in the last meeting, but we won't go into a lot of detail there because... Uh, we can bring that back as we go forward, and we'll have an opportunity to go into more detail there. But today, uh, David and Jeanette will be talking mostly about the support services uh, part of it. Uh, thank you, Devakin. Before I kick it off, I want to just stop, and I want to recognize and thank Ishwari Venkatamran, who is our director of planning, who has actually done most of this work. So, Ishwari, thank you. Um, as Devakin mentioned, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. I think you recall the plan. So now we're going to talk about uh, support services, which is really all about uh, resources and uh, coordination and meeting the mission of the organization. So as you can see, we, um, uh, we're going to follow the continuum of care up there. And as we do this, we're uh, going to enforce the uh, role of AHS as an anchor institution 
in promoting local hiring and sourcing. Um, just to give you a background, so last time we talked about these six SBUs across the top. I hope you enjoyed those presentations. Now we're going to look at the support functions underneath of that one by one, so things like IT, HR, finance, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, let's jump into this. Um, starting with IT, this obviously is led by uh, Dave Gravener, who's in the room. And uh, Dave has a very big challenge because every one of these SBUs has um, information technology needs. And currently he is <clears throat> leading the process to develop a, a long-term IT strategic plan for the organization. I'm sure he'll look forward to bringing that to you in the next few months after it's been reviewed. But uh, from what I've seen, it's going to be a very, very comprehensive approach uh, covering all of the needs of the organization. So that's, and that's probably going to be, in terms of resources, a lot of human resources. I think there's going to be a lot of dollar resources tied to that initiative as well. So we'll want to look at that uh, carefully. Jeanette. Okay. Um, in human resources, there are, because... Um, of the um, structure based on the strategic business units, there will be a lot of work for um, human resources to do over the next um, few years. Um, the, the first thing is to build a more inclusive environment that, that supports recruitment, hiring, development, and retention of, um, of truly mission-driven employees that, um, that reflect the different communities that we serve. Um, intentionally build an environment that is able to serve our diverse population with culturally appropriate care. Um, we have um, we have some baseline skills in that area, but we still have a lot of work that we need to do. You know, to um, to act to provide really culturally appropriate care to all of our populations. Um, promote local sourcing and hiring. We'll need to come back to. Um, to the board at, at some point about how how we will how we'll, we will do that and some of the values decisions that we will that we'll need to make as an executive team and as a board. Um, align the organizational structure with strategy. As I mentioned earlier, there there will be um, some fairly substantial organizational changes, and that will be a critical role for us to play. Um, recruit appropriate skill sets, develop incentive systems to align behaviors. We plan to come back um, to the board in September at the educational session um, to talk about compensation in, in a healthcare environment. We are already working to streamline the performance management system so that, so that we measure those things we need to. We have continual um, performance management and not a system that is based on on a single every every year performance appraisal. Um, we're restructuring organizational development to better support strategies. So we'll so we'll have um, add organizational design capabilities as well as organizational development. Um, We've developed um, change management structures and tools to align with the strategy that we need to roll out to the organization in the next few months and are reviewing all of our internal processes to eliminate um, redundancy and, and make them more, more efficient. Um, frankly, um, many, of those, many of those issues um, 
we'll, we'll need um, IT solutions, which, um, which we will need to balance with the other IT solutions that the organization needs. Um, I want to say something about that. Uh, I, I, I'll do that again. <laughs> well, what I, and maybe it's part of the um, recruit appropriate skills, develop incentive systems, but, but what I don't see is something about um, compensation structures that recognize the unique skills of our employees and the unique environment of a healthcare provider as kind of a, a goal, so I'm just, or an objective, because we're our, I see the environment supporting recruitment and hiring and our diverse population of employees, but, or maybe that's our diverse population of patients, the second one, but I, I want to um, just put out there that it, hospital, our, our environment, our healthcare environment is unique working or working type of um, type of employer and type of organization and our the skill set that we need from our from our employees is different from someone who works a nine to five job at a desk. That, that's true and all of our current and, and future selection processes are based on that on the knowledge that we truly need mission driven people and 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 we um, and, and we need to, you know, fairly compensate our staff, and have been doing a lot of, a lot of work over the last few months to, um, to determine ways that we can, that we can, um, both well, both stabilize right. our, and I, our I'm workforce. Not saying, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's not the case, but I'm looking here for, for some recognition. I mean, we're recognizing that, that, um, that we're recruiting appropriate skill sets and developing incentive systems to align behaviors, but are we also recognizing that that our environment is a, is a unique 24-7 organization that has, has um, what compensation structure should be, should support that and should support the unique skills and um, needs of our, our employees. If it's if it's in here somewhere, well, I don't know if it is. Because I'll be honest, I'm not following, so I was, I was hoping you could you could say more. Well, about this what okay. These these points are, are I, I I mean I guess these points are I could see these in my the city of Oakland could have all of these types of skill sets and environment and that would be fine. Local sourcing and hiring, organizational structural strategy, recruit appropriate skill sets. I mean that's an organizational objective that is definitely necessary. But I'm looking at it from the employee's perspective. Uh, are we are we establishing uh, an an organization that recognize? Are we are we are we recruiting with the recognition of our unique organization, our unique organizational environment, 24/7 healthcare-driven environment, and the unique skills of our of our staff that would be. Um, the empathy and, and, and um, diversity and, and ability to work closely side by side with patients, as well as that, as we heard earlier, and this kind of brought it up for me earlier, was the things that might be, we, we are going to have to have people working all shifts all the time, and do we have the incentives and the, um, 
the compensation structure in place that will that will um, make that happen. And I'll stop. I mean, I, I'm just putting that out there, and, and Tony might have a response, which is fine. I, I think I understand. Where you're going, so. <laughs> okay. I'm not arguing about this. I'm just put it, saying that oh, this I is. I don't um, think we take it as much. We, we, we just want to make sure we understand what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I think I followed. Um, Trustee Jensen, all our compensation structures are based on the healthcare marketplace. So while healthcare is unique, even though we're a public health employer, we are not unique. We are competing for talent with Kaiser, with Sutter, with UCSF, with all the other providers. And our compensation, compensation structures very much reflect that. The fact it's a 24-7 environment, that we work shifts, that people work in a hospital or in clinical environments. And everything that we construct in compensation is reflective of that already. Everyone we get data from is collecting data from other healthcare providers. And so all the data we receive and then the manner in which we build our salary tables is reflective of the healthcare environment in the not only in the East Bay but in the Greater Bay Area. And so it is somewhat a given in that we're in healthcare. Everyone we get data from is also in healthcare. Uh, and all of the constructions are, of our salary and compensation practices are reflective of healthcare in the Bay Area. And I, I, I see that that's the case, but as I read, um, you know, these bullet points then, uh, uh, does this mean that we're going to begin to recruit appropriate skill sets, or have we always recruited appropriate skill sets? Or are we now just now aligning organizational structure with strategy, or are we, have we always done that? So, so my point is that these seem to be kind of underlying values of the organization and, and I would like to see an underlying value that we recognize the unique the unique um, we have a compensation structure that recognizes the unique skill set of our of our employees and um, the unique environment of our organization so I, I think that, uh, that I, has has always been true in in our in our organization I, that, that, that doesn't true. that doesn't represent what we try to do in, in describing our strategic objectives were what were those things that we needed to slightly change the focus on or what were the things that that we needed to to do in our in our various you know departments and divisions to better support the specific initiatives of the business right. moving, yeah. moving forward. Actually, Trustee Jensen, the, the comment you just made about uh, whether these are sort of underlying principles versus actually uh, uh, modifications and or you know small and or significant, uh, these are not uh, these are not intended to be underlying sort of uh, baseline principles that exist both now and going forward. They are intended as genetic suggestion to represent that uh, in our shift from going from a uh, in some cases sort of. Uh, uh, episodic-based uh, 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 point-of-care type of delivery system to a population health manager, uh, that there are different skill sets that come with that sort of framework that we don't necessarily have and or uh, uh, didn't necessarily need under a different construct. So so th those underlying things like compensation and other things, that still exist. It exists now and it will going forward, but there are other things that... Um, uh, we will need to do more of, and to Jeanette's point, there are things that we don't, we, we maybe do now to some degree, uh, but not nearly as much uh, in terms of focus on cultural competency, diversity and inclusion, uh, local sourcing and hiring, all those sorts of things. But we're saying that our plan called for it uh, and, and, and feedback uh, from various uh, people that these are areas where we need to actually apply a different...
uh, degree of focus or perspective on. So they are intended to be supportive of a, st a strategic direction, not necessarily uh, reflective of a underlying set of principles, core principles. Thank you. Thank you, that, that was helpful. Okay, moving on to finance. Um, <clears throat> well, there's gonna be a lot going on in finance. So, um, <clears throat> you know, one of, the, one of the primary responsibilities here is to make sure that as we change the ship to this new direction, that it all sort of goes together and works and rolls out in the right heading. Um, you know, anytime you change the economic model of an organization, it's like it's like it's like fraught with peril. So uh, there's got to be a lot of analysis to make sure that everything we're doing sort of makes sense and it ties together. So that's financial planning. Um, <clears throat> there'll be a lot of um, a lot of contracting decisions that are made. We want to reinforce the fact that. You know, we do, in fact, um, look local every time we can. Every time a contract comes through across my desk, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I, I look right to the address. Okay, where, where are these people? Um, the, um, well, you know, uh, we have to change all the financial reporting. That's a huge effort. Uh, a lot of that is going to require IT support, um, budgeting decision support, um, managed care contracting is a big piece of capitation. So we've got to change all of these agreements to... Um, risk-based contracts of one form or another. Um, revenue cycle is still extremely important. Um, the whole issue of uh, aligning economics and incentives within the organization to get people acting together is crucial. And then, of course, financial planning and budgeting um, and uh, efficiency. And so one of the things we're actually looking at is how do we take simplify existing processes to give people more time to work on things that really make a difference for the organization. Um, care coordination, um, it's only two lines, but it's a major effort, you know, that, um, that, that we need to move on in, in order to, to actually um, do pro population health um, in, in our organization. Um, so we've recently hired a new um, vice president of, um, for, for care management. Who has who has already started, you know, doing doing some work to streamline their processes, improve throughput, you know, better better use the um, the systems that we have that we currently have available in 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 order to stratify the need for care, um, so that we can develop the support the development of population health, which is which is the, our overarching, you know, focus for all the changes we're making. Okay. Uh, moving on to uh, facilities, this will actually be uh, one of Luis's responsibilities, but <clears throat> we're expecting to see that there'll be uh, really significant uh, facility needs uh, as we develop these plans. Uh, we already mentioned uh, the rehab relocation, but uh, as we look at post-acute care in particular, uh, what happens to the Fairmont campus? How do we um, take our support staff and get them in the right locations? Um, so there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of work in this area, and we're also going to look at things like transportation and parking strategies, which um, support care coordination, moving people through the system, making it easy for, for people to get to the right mode of care. Okay, and in, in quality, we need to assess the programmatic requirements for each one of the of the SBUs and need to determine what we what we need to do and and what our priorities need to be for each one of the SBUs um, review industry metrics and um, and use Midas to the 
greatest extent possible in order to help us um, improve our quality. Um, again, I said, you know, prioritization. Um, clarify the kinds of resources that we need in order to improve the operations of the organization. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're looking at implementing, um, implementing lean to a greater extent than we, than we have done over the, over the last two years and, and, um, and becoming an organization that's focused on performance improvement at, at all times. Okay, the next area is uh, business planning and development. And this is being led by Ishwari, of course. Uh, this is really a big area because what we have to do now is we have to take all of these strategic initiatives and turn them into actual business plans and operational plans. And that involves a lot of analysis to make sure that uh, everything we're talking about doing actually makes sense. We have the right resources applied. We have a good implementation plan. We have good operational accountability. We can pay for it. It's staged the right way with the other SBUs. And then when the project's implemented, it's turned over to operations so that it uh, hits the ground running and operates smoothly. Okay. Um, we need to make some changes in marketing and communications as well. Um, develop a system-wide branding strategy, including post-acute, which is which is one of the one of the, the largest um, restructuring efforts that we have. Um, develop our marketing plans to um, to support the tactics that we're that we're implementing in order to grow the organization, and um, develop and implement um, a more robust communications plan to support our strategic plan, um, both inside the organization and outside the organization in the community. Okay. Okay. These next three slides really start to uh, transition us from the strategic plan to the business plan, but it's more of a template to show you what we're doing. So at a very high level, uh, what we're doing is breaking this down into three years, foundational, transitional, and then system transformation. Then we're looking at each area, each of the key areas and say, well, what, what kinds of activities are going to happen in each of these years? So obviously, you know, right now we're at the beginning of the plan, so we're reorganizing, we're getting the right leadership in place, we're building the core systems, doing IT um, to support the system, doing all the planning work, and then as we move forward, we'll start um, you know, refining these and implementing key initiatives. Um, the next slide kind of looks at each of the, um, the key SBUs and says, well, these are the kinds of activities that we expect to be doing in each of those years. Now, we're going to have to refine that, so I'm sure I'm sure this is going to change, so um, I'm not going to go through the detail. And then on the uh, support services, we've done the same thing. We've taken the first cut at taking each of those initiatives and breaking them down and saying what's going to happen in each, each of those periods. So you'll be hearing um, more about that in the future. Um, the other thing we have to do is um, um, change the way we, we change the dialogue, okay, because population health has a completely different vocabulary than what we're used to. And so, for example, right now you hear third next available appointment. That means nothing in the population health. There, there are standard metrics that we have to achieve for appointment availability that are, you know, are different than TNAA. So we have to change that. So um, really we have to go through the entire organization, and this is the start of it, and say, well, what, what actually should we be measuring to make this entire system work and what's the 
language, and so there's going to be a whole new educational process to go through that. Um, and then finally, we're going to be putting together a dashboard, a revised dashboard, so that um, we'll be able to, you know, give the board, um, you know, a quick look at how we're doing. Okay, I think we're basically at the end. I, I think we just want to, unless you want to finish up, Alvecchio. Uh, yeah, well, so this is... Oh, of course. Just an observation, and then it might be in process, but mm -hmm. um, there's a lot here, uh, and, and I'm worried about when I look at our most urgent needs and how fast we're going to get there. I'm just looking at year one. Year one looks like there's still a lot of internal, in-house foundational work I get that mm -hmm. and yet frankly some of our concerns are far uh, more urgent than waiting for year two and three mm -hmm. and so I'd rather have more clarity about what's doable that's really going to hit our high priority high impact results focused areas than I hate to put it this way, but it feels like, you know, all of the chiefs need to figure out what's going to happen first before we're actually making the impact on our patients, in the employee base, in, you know, the frontline workers. And I know we need to do some of that, but, but I think there's going to be frustration with this if it doesn't produce some more immediate results around our goals around population health. So... My recommendation only to, to clarify this is when I look at the section that has the different bullets, um, I, I hope we're prioritizing those at some point because I know we're early in this process. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> there's some things here that are not as important as others, in my humble opinion. And I, I, I'm hoping that we are able to be very nimble and flex our muscles and say, where do we most need to see um, the biggest changes in the way we do our work in order to achieve some of those population health goals? Sure. So I don't see any time frame here that that speaks to that in, in an aggressive way. Sure. And if we are adhering <coughs> to the outside as doing a lot of internal machination about how we do our work, and not then, you know, having the results on the front end, mm -hmm. we might get dinged by it. So, fair point. I'll, I'll tell you that a lot of the feedback that we got from the various stakeholders, both internal and external, is be very careful about sort of a natural leaning uh, or inclination of a strategic planning process, which is to sort of look at, you know, the pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do to kind of really drastically make uh, um, changes to the organization? Uh, because that then detracts from the focus on what's bothering people yeah. day to day, you know, right away. And so uh, we took uh, we took that feedback. We uh, um, tried to come up with a measurable approach that is still uh, quite aggressive over the course of three years to do some of the big mm -hmm. uh, uh, transformational things that are going to happen by year mm -hmm. three, and balance those with. We still, we're, this is a plane that we're mm -hmm. trying to change in midair, right? So. Um, so we're, we're, we are using the first year to 
create the foundation and the platform for those big things while also preserving the bandwidth, if you will, to continue to address the things that we need to to sustain ourselves, uh, whether that is in the finance realm or the IT realm, uh, looking at continuous improvements like the Toyon uh, report, like some of our access challenges in mm-hmm. ambulatory that, you know, irrespective of when we're now capitated for mm-hmm. lives, we know that those problems exist right now. Some of the challenges providers have in seeing uh, data, being able to get patients through, being able to bill and mm-hmm. uh, uh, collect charges, all those things we have to start focus on right now. Mm-hmm. So so they, they, you know, under the rubric of a foundational, it feels sort of less ambitious. It feels a little perhaps uh, um, less uh, uh, um, impressive. Uh, but I think it, it begins to, not just for our internal partners, but our external partners who we work with, create that, um, those, those small uh, demonstrations of improvement that then get them jazzed about, okay, you want to do these really big things? You've demonstrated to us that, that we can take care of the things that have been paining and troubling us day in and day out. Uh, so, so we're now more on board. So. So, so it might help if there's a little bit of just to be as clear as possible. Um, you know, what do we call the SMART goal? Um, you know, specific, specific, measurable, measurable attainable, yeah. realistic, and timely. Yeah. Goal number one there, um, do we have a time frame for achieving those specific items? And, and I don't mean, oh yeah, it's a three-year strategic plan, so it takes three years. I, I would hope we could say more about, you know, wh- by when are we going to do certain things on Correct. this? So, so uh, I'll, I'll remind you, um, uh, we are coming to you. So we're doing this in a couple of slices, again, to get this feedback, but also to, to uh, bring uh, uh, the uh, sort of the, the uh, responses to that back to you. But what we've also planned and what you see in uh, some of the presentations and heard the last time is that the next couple of months, as we create the leadership and the right infrastructure for these business units and these support functions, is now we get into the nitty-gritty of, what exactly can we do, how do we do it, uh, and, and what's the sort of smart timeline around that. And that's the detail we'll bring you. It, okay. it, if we did it in the plan, the plan would be 500 pages long to sit on the shelf and nobody would actually look at it. But this is uh, intended to be high enough that it shows the vision. It breaks it down to some small degree in, into uh, detail so that people know what we're talking about, but recognizes that there's, there's a few more inches and uh, layers that we have to go through to really give you uh, uh, that that sense of what will happen at each standpoint to actually get to where we want to get to. Uh, I just would notice that it might help. I mean, I think about our, our annual budget mm-hmm. as a more specific action-oriented measurement of how we're implementing this plan. And so this is big. It's up here. But our budget is a little bit closer to the ground. And maybe when we get these periodic updates, you can call out expenditures that we've approved that actually get us to these goals along the way. Mm-hmm. I think that might yeah. serve you serve your concern well because you're seeing it in action. Because we, we yeah. did put money aside for a lot of these things when we approved the budget. Correct. And that was a more detailed conversation. I think that might help. And one of them, uh, we just did the, the prior item. So the, the San Leandro rehab relocation three years out. Right. But oh, some of the, the work, yeah, yeah, you'll see right away there's already effort to do the detailed business planning okay. that has to occur to make sure that by that time we're ready to go. And there's some steps that might even early on require your approval when we bring it back to you in September that didn't show. You know, we're, we're moving this forward. There's some pieces that, that uh, uh, are getting us there before we put any shovel in the ground or 
Similarly, uh, like when that. we see things like um, with regard to HR and, for example, the contract for um, for providers at John George, that would move us towards some of these goals. Mm -hmm. And um, as we look at our as our at our contracts with our our own employees, our labor units, how does those contracts get us towards these goals as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And payer contracts, David was mentioning earlier, the big contracts that we're now working on with uh, Alameda um, uh, Alliance for Medi-Cal and for Anthem for Medi-Cal, we're, we're, we're introducing into that contracting process steps that are moving us towards developing that muscle and that capability to get to capitation. So, there's so a yeah, just, I, I agree with, um, with Trustee DeRuz that it would be good when we're making decisions to see how, and I think that would support Trustee Hernandez as well, how, how that decision impacts our move towards this. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so, so this is just a recap slide. Uh, you saw this as the first slide that uh, um, um, uh, sort of underscores the four sort of uh, <coughs> uh, key strategies that uh, um, uh, um, I don't know, so undergird or, or, or is overarching for all of this, which is establishing these competencies and key areas of care delivery across those business units, uh, developing the, the contracts that support population health, again, the overarching, uh, strengthening partnerships because of what we uh, called out during the business unit piece of this is that we recognize that we're not doing this alone and this requires uh, partnerships in areas uh, both in, within the delivery side and the non-delivery side that help us to coordinate services and provide the best care possible to the population we serve. And, and then our system uh, uh, and integrating it uh, uh, more more uh, tightly to be able to to uh, provide for high quality services across our continuum. And uh, this is the next step. So that's some of the stuff we actually just talked about. So you'll you'll see the detailed plan, the communication rollout, uh, or the plan to roll out of, of this plan, uh, which is uh, continuing to involve uh, awareness and education for internal and exter external stakeholders uh, about what the plan is, what role they play in it, how we intend to uh, uh, realize it over the, over the course of the next three years, three to five years actually, through the operational plans. Uh, and then obviously the top one, which is the structure that we'll uh, define and then implement uh, to, to support this. And then I think it's What's in the next slide? Uh, we have, oh, no, it was in, wait, there, there it is. I just wanted to call this out. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but one of the, so, so the feedback, a lot of the feedback we heard in, in the last meeting, which was uh, uh, quite deserved, um, uh, was that it, there wasn't a, a heavy demonstration <coughs> of the influences of health equity uh, as a, as a um, uh, aim, if you will, as well as diversity and inclusion. And you might have uh, seen that some of us, including all of our providers who were presenting, were a bit sort of baffled by that, that, that it didn't come through. We sort of did our redux and realized that as we went through the different versions of the plan, because they were baffled because it was clearly a, a big part of the motivation for it. As we went through the several drafts of the plan, it got it got sort of watered down, and so it didn't actually come through. So we, we acknowledge your point that it didn't actually show in a way that that reflected the importance that it had in our um, in our planning. So. Uh, one of the areas, I mean, you hear it a lot as, as Jeanette and David presented from the diversion and inclusion vantage point, from the health equity standpoint, the population health team uh, pulled out a couple of the guiding principles that they established to, uh, um, uh, to, to drive some of the plans that they did that Dr. Uh, Swift pointed out when she, uh, when she presented. We're going to 
we, we sort of pulled that back out and said we need to put that into plan so that when someone looks at this as a standalone document, they don't have the same reaction mm -hmm. that you did. And, and uh, some of the uh, bullets here uh, um, specifically go to the, uh, the point that we are really uh, using and, and recognizing that health equity as a, um, as a, uh, a component of and a driver for what we're doing is very, very important. And you'll see that in the, some of the detailed planning, too. So one of, one of the things that's not put on here that we sort of picked up as an aha moment is the American Hospital Association has this one, two, three equity of care initiative where hospitals around the country have made a pledge to uh, do their part to uh, address, uh, to call attention to and address uh, areas of uh, inequity in healthcare delivery. And um, uh, we knew about this and, and uh, actually Bonnie, who's not here, brought it to my attention before uh, because she wanted to in, uh, <coughs> sign Alameda Hospital up for this. And at the time, uh, I said, you know, if we're going to do it for Alameda Hospital, it's important for all of us, let's do it. I, I forgot that we actually <laughs> did do it, though. So, so we're like, we're, we'll put in the plan that we're committed to doing that. There's some steps around you will uh, take a deliberate effort to identify a specific inequity, which the waiver is actually allowing us to do as we collect race, ethnicity, and language data. And and sexual mm -hmm. orientation and gender identity data. Uh, where is there a disparity that might exist? Create a plan for uh, addressing that and communicate broadly throughout the organization and your board around it. So we're, we're planning to do that, but it turns out that we actually were already uh, uh, um, endorsers of this plan and committed to actually doing those steps. So you'll, you'll hear more about that. Yeah, that should not be hard to find. Oh, oh yeah. We'll scratch it and, yeah. and it'll, it'll come to the surface quite easily, I agree. Uh, so, so that's where we are. Again, we'll, we'll bring more to you. Uh, we wanted to finish up the presentation of the plan in its first uh, run, but uh, there are plans to, to bring this up as a topic at least once more, but perhaps uh, even more uh, in subsequent board meetings. Okay? All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think we're on to committee reports. Were they, uh, are they in the book? Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone, if there are no questions, I uh, move approval. Okay. Do I get a second? second. All in favor? Aye. Okay. Um, Aye. Uh, are we are we down to open session public comment? Well, we have. Are those? The information reports? I thought you were approving yeah. all of that. They're all, yeah, they just, they're all, they're all in there. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I did have, never mind. I, I had a question about the legislative report, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask it offline. I, I was looking at it, and it, I think that the question was about, um, and Joe's question was actually about whether the Bontis bill was gutted, the one that would have eliminated or um, established that a health care district had to have a hospital, I think it would have established either that it had to have a hospital or it had to give um, at least 80% of its revenue to um, health care services or 90%. Anyway, it was gutted and the new bill says, basically requires or establishes if it passes that a non-contracting provider in a contracting facility would get paid the, um, the, the insurer would have to pay the non-contracting provider. So it would be, it, it, I, I was confused too. We were thinking maybe it had to do with the prompt, or it was similar to the prompt pay, mm -hmm. or would support that, but it's, it wouldn't because the prompt pay if applies, it's applying to a non-contracting facility, and Bonta's bill applies to contracting facilities where a, a, an enrollee of a health plan gets services from a 
non-contracting provider. Okay. So, so that's why I said it's sort of similar, similar, similar but not related. But that's, that's usually when you're in an organization where, uh, say, you're going to get a surgical procedure and the facility has a contract, uh, but you end up uh, the facility and the surgeon who's going to perform that procedure has a contract with the anesthesiologist may not or the pathologist who runs your uh, imaging may not, and then you get a out of network bill from those providers. Uh, that's a that's a uh, common problem that happens in healthcare organizations. That his bill is designed to address uh, what ability uh, the um, those providers have to 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 charge you certain rates. It's the it's the ex the extra or the copay or the additional. Payment because you would, those providers can't provide, can't bill the patient, the covered patient, for the entire cost of the procedure. They can bill for the extra. The, the balance bill. billing, you're yeah, yeah, balance yeah. billing. Yeah. Whatever the plan yeah. doesn't pay, yeah. that's because uh, of the So this addresses balance billing, and by and contracting providers, but not, not. It would be nice if it was actually would establish that um, any provider could only charge. The Sutter rate or something. That would help us, right? <laughs> it, it tends to be common in four areas of medicine, which, uh, uh, which I re the acronym is pretty bad. You'll figure it out as I say them. But it's radiology, anesthesia, pathology, and emergency. Uh, those are ten the areas where you have providers who aren't contracted, uh, who, who balance bill uh, often. And so this must be, and, and that bill was interesting to me too. It must be coming from, and I, Terry's not here, but I would imagine it's coming from. Um, patient groups or consumer groups or even possibly CNA or someone like that? I don't, yeah, I don't know. And, and actually, thanks for reminding me. The other bills I was I circled for myself was just the, the other Bonta bill and the Quirk bill that deal with healthcare districts. Um, and I'm just wondering when they're going to pass. I think the last I heard from Terry was, uh, I don't know about the Bonta bill, but the Quirk's bill that it... Uh, uh, needed, they needed to take, they reconvene, I think, um, next Monday. Yeah. Uh, and I think it actually, if it doesn't pass, if they don't take action on it on next Monday, then it, uh, something happens to it. I don't, I, I, it sunsets in some way and they can reintroduce it in the next session or something like that. But they have to take action on it. So, okay. Yeah. I hope the sun doesn't sit on that bill. Um, I have a fond interest, as we all do, in that one. Right. My understanding is that uh, um, um, someone in the court uh, has set forward a, uh, uh, an expectation that if there is an ability to address that situation locally and that there is movement on it, that he would uh, either withdraw or uh, uh, not take action on the bill, but, but reserves the right if he didn't feel that way that he could move forward. So that's all I understand. Do I have a motion? I move we adjourn. Oh, oh, we have to. Oh, do we have public comment? Thank you. Do I have a report out? Didn't we didn't have a closed session, so we don't have anything to report out. <laughs> yeah. I move that we adjourn. Go see Hillary's. Yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs>